Well, I'm sure some of you are wondering, what is Rick going to talk about this morning? Well, Rick's going to talk about what Rick always talks about. His favorite person in the universe, who is Jesus, and what he did. You know, three weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, and uh, Craig, at the end of his message, uh, said, well, is this event going to have any lasting effect on you? Is the resurrection of Christ going to change anything? And then he, he quoted a verse, Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. Does that have some implication? What does that mean that I have been crucified with Christ? What does it mean that you have been crucified with Christ? Well, Easter and the resurrection actually have three implications. They have, it has a historical implication. It has a theological implication. And it also has a practical or experiential application. And so I want to just talk about each of the three very briefly this morning. The historical application is the fact that the resurrection Easter was the greatest day in history. Because on that day, the curse of the fall, the curse that came on all men from Adam was broken. And Jesus, who is the head of the church, the beginning of all things, the firstborn from the dead, that he might be preeminent in all things. And in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile in himself things on earth, things in heaven, making atonement through the blood of his cross. And you and I, who are separated from him, who are his enemies, who are full of evil deeds, has he reconciled through the body of his flesh, through his own blood, to present you and me holy, blameless, and faultless before his presence. Now that is good news, and that is the gospel. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He made Christ who knew no sin to become sin, that you and I might be able to take his righteousness. Christ, though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty, through his humility, you and I might be made rich. That's good news. That's good news. Okay, that is a historical application. It is a theological application. But there's also an experiential application to Easter. Christmas is an event that happens every year. But does Christmas really change you or me? No. It might make me excited when I was a child because I was going to get some presents that I waited all year to get. And it still gives me a little buzz. But Christmas doesn't really change me. It set things up for the gospel, but Christmas does not have an effect on me. But the resurrection of Christ has an experiential effect on you and me if we have believed on him. Now, what we need to talk about this morning, and you, I'm really praying that you can get your heads around this concept, we're talking about what is life? What is life? Jesus says, I have come that you might have life that you might have life and have that more abundantly. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And the wrath of God remains upon him. Well, somebody said, well, I, this person's alive. No, 
when the scriptures talk about life, it's talking about eternal life. But eternal life has nothing to do with time. It has to do with it is the life of God. And this is when Nicodemus came and asked Jesus, basically, what would I, should I do to be saved or have life? You know, he has these questions that were implied. Jesus says, well, you would have to be born again. You would have to be recreated. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You're not alive, Nicodemus. You would have to become alive to be one with me. John 17, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who thou hast sent. This is life. Life is the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit which entered into you and I the day we invited Christ into our heart. Three things happened that day. The first thing that happened that day was the nature of Adam in you and I that we came into this world with, that nature that was prone to sin, prone to wander, had no desire to be with God, was put to death. And you might say, Rick, he didn't do a very good job of putting it to death in me, but it's dead. You take a chicken, cut its head off, the chicken is absolutely dead. Even though he might run around, the chicken's dead. And we have now what's called the flesh, that the life of the old man still manifests in, but the old man is dead, and we have gotten something new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. New creation, all things, not some things, all things, they become new. All things. And we're told that the new man is created in his likeness, in righteousness, which is the sum of all that's good, and holiness, which is the absence of all that is evil. If you are in Christ, you are perfectly righteous. You are perfectly holy. The proof that you're saved isn't that you don't sin. The proof that you are saved is the fact that when you do sin, when I do sin, we no longer can enjoy it. It's like tastes good in the mouth, but really sours the stomach. So the most unhappy people in the world are not the sons of Adam because the sons of Adam live every day according to their nature, which is sinful. The most unhappy people in the world are sons of God who sin because sin is contrary to our newly created nature. Okay, so how many of you in this room, I want to see your hands, have asked Christ into your heart? Okay, there's some we're going to still work on. Okay, if you have asked Christ into your heart, then you have his life in you. You have eternity in you. You are in life. You are alive. I am alive. Okay, question. Right now, you exist in eternity. Is there any time in eternity? No time in eternity. So as you embrace this life that you and I have in us, where were you, if you're in Christ, and Christ is eternal, where were you when God spoke the universe and the earth in creation? Where were you? Where were you? You were in Christ. You were there. You were there. Because it's a hard concept, but once you embrace, once you become a part of the eternal you were there at the beginning, at the creation. You're there at Armageddon. You're there every day because 
the eternal exists outside of time. So where will you be? Where were you on the day Christ was crucified? Where were you when he was on the cross? You were in him. You were in Christ when he was crucified on the cross. And where were you the day he resurrected from the dead? You were in him when he resurrected. Because he is eternally present. And if you and I are one with him, we are eternally present with him. We were eternally present with him in his death and crucifixion. And you were eternally present with him in his resurrection. And that's how, why the Apostle Paul could say, I was crucified with Christ. I was in Christ when he was crucified. And it is no longer I who live, but it is now Christ who lives in me. I was with Christ when he resurrected, Romans 6, 26. And the old man was crucified in Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed. And as many of us have been baptized, united with him in his death, we're also united with him in his resurrection, that we should walk in newness of life. Do you get that? Do I get that? When I was 23 years old, I, I sat in a lecture by a guy by the name of Major Ian Thomas. He talked about the Moses looking at this bush that was burning, and this bush was never consumed. And so Moses was trying to think, well, what kind of wood do you think this bush is? You know, do you think it's wet wood that it doesn't, it's not consumed? Is it hardwood? Maybe it's green wood. Bless you. You know what conclusion Moses came to? Moses came to the conclusion any old bush will do as long as the Lord is in it. Any old bush will do as long as the Lord's in it. And you know what? I had been trying to live the Christian life out of my own strength, out of my own, yeah, out of my own strength, and I was not doing a very good job of it. But then I realized, oh, well, any old bush will do as long as the Lord is in it. And I started learning about this appropriation of the death of Christ and the appropriation of the resurrection of Christ, our co-crucifixion and our co-resurrection. Now, let me tell you how Lucifer works. Lucifer wants to steal your identity. He wants to steal my identity. He wants us to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, Ooh, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. But as long as you and I look in the mirror and say, I'm a sinner, you know what? You're going to have a bad day. Because you know what sinners do? Sinners sin. So you walk out the door, and I walk out the door, and everything's going good. I'm saved by grace. I am a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. But there's a temptation that comes along, whether this guy pulls in front of me, whether I see something, whether I think about something. And the first thing the evil one says to your mind and says to my mind is, you're a sinner. Oh, yeah, I am a sinner. Well, I'm going to fight this because I'm also a Christian, so I try to fight this. I try to fight this temptation. But what do, I, what do I end up doing? I do what sinners do. I sin. And then I say, oh, Father, I confess my sin. I thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then I feel better again. And then, you know what, I go on another hour or two, and what happens again? I sin. Because someone says to me, you're a sinner. And I say, I am a sinner. And what do sinners do? Sinners sin. I fight it as, much as, as hard as I can but I will sin. Okay, what is the truth? What does God say about you? You're a saint. 
If any man is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your will, your desire is to do his will. Now, you and I do not have the strength to do all the good we want to do. But we have the desire, we have the will. We are newly created. He's taken away our heart of stone. He's given us a heart of flesh. He has written his law upon our heart. We are saints. We are recreated in his image in righteousness, which is the sum of all that's good, and holiness, which is the absence of all that's evil. Brother, you and I got the 5-0 download. We got the perfect package, and there's no virus in the program. But what must we do? We must learn to confess our identity. Paul talks about reckon, count it. Depend on the fact of who you are. So, the next time, this afternoon, when you see a temptation out there, and then the first thought that comes to your mind is, I'm a sinner. I've got to fight that. This afternoon, when you see that temptation coming, temptation to be short, temptation to be mad, temptation to be impatient, temptation to do something you shouldn't do or see something you shouldn't see or go someplace you shouldn't go, and as soon as that word comes to you, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, stop and say, I'm not a sinner. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me. I am not a sinner. I am a saint. I have been recreated in his image and his likeness. And you know what? Your mind doesn't go the same place. Christ, when he lived on this earth as a man, was under the dominion of sin. The scripture says God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. But was Jesus tempted? He was. Was Jesus God? Yes. But remember, he laid aside his deity and lived as a man. And Jesus lived under the dominion of sin, and he could be tempted. And what is a temptation? It's something that seems appealing. So whether that was power or, or sexuality or whatever, it couldn't have been a temptation to Jesus unless it was tempting. And Jesus always said no to that temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he lived a sinless life so he could be a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. But after his crucifixion and resurrection, he who is dead is free from sin. He who is dead, the dominion of sin is broken from them. And in those 40 days that Christ walked on the face of this earth, from the time of his resurrection to the time of his ascension, he couldn't be tempted. A tempting thought could come his way, but it was no longer tempting because he was completely free through the dominion of sin because he had been crucified and resurrected. And you can't tempt a man who has been recreated and resurrected. And guess what, brothers and sisters? As you and I are united with Christ in him, the dominion of sin is broken that hangs over you and hangs over me. So it's kind of, it's kind of like this. You know, Paul talks about every day I find myself doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things I want to do, and I, then I don't do the things I want to do and do what I don't do the things I want to do, and I find myself doing what I don't want to do and back and forth and back and forth. And he says, you know, who's going to save me from this? Who's going to deliver me from this? He says, with my mind, I want to serve the law of God. With my flesh, the law of sin. And then he says, well, good news. God's going to save me through Jesus. 
And he says, there's good news. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit, who do not abide in the flesh, but abide in the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law, a man cannot break a spiritual law. Only a law can break a law. A physical law can be broken by, cannot be broken by a man. Let's take the example of the law of gravity. I can jump two feet, David Carl can jump five feet, somebody with a pole can jump 20 feet. But no matter how high we can jump, we can't out-jump gravity. But if I go get myself in an airplane, all of a sudden there's another law that takes place. It's called the law of aerodynamics. And I'm flying. I'm not saying I'm overcoming gravity, I'm overcoming gravity. I'm saying when are they going to bring out the food and the drinks? It's a good thing. And now if I walk over to that door and open the door and step out of the plane, the law of gravity will take me down. But as long as I stay in that plane, the law of gravity does not affect me. And that's the way it is in Christ. As you and I abide in Christ, this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. And you know what, brothers and sisters? You cannot be tempted if you are abiding in Christ. That doesn't mean a temptation won't come your way, but it's no more tempting to you than go put your hand in boiling water or go stick your knife in an electric plug. That doesn't seem tempting to me at all. <laughs> when you and I are abiding in Christ, those things that were tempting before are not tempting. To a, uh, to a full soul, even honey is not enticing, but to a hungry soul, to a soul that's in the flesh, even bitter things are sweet. So the invitation that Christ gives on Easter and every day of our life is... He says, I was crucified for you, and I have been resurrected for you. Abide in me. Abide in my crucifixion, which put to death your old man, but abide in my resurrection and all the benefits of that resurrection. The benefit that, that, that sin no longer can have dominion over you, can no longer have dominion over me. The benefit that as a branch abides in the vine, the branch doesn't do anything to bear fruit. It just stays connected. It just abides. It just dwells there. And then the life of the plant flows through the branch. And what happens? Fruit. And what does that fruit look like? It looks like love. It looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like patience. It looks like kindness. It looks like goodness. It looks like self-control. Would you like to be married to a man or a woman who had that? 24-7? <laughs> the only reason you and I don't have it 24-7 is because we go abide some other place. We abide in our thoughts, we abide in our work, we abide in our family, we abide in a bunch of good things. But nothing gives life but the bread of life. Everything moves and everything breaks but Jesus. So he says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. He wants you and I to enjoy the benefits of his death, his crucifixion, that we have been crucified to the desire of the flesh, and that we have been resurrected in his new life, his new personality, you have and I have the mind of Christ. Let me pray for us about this and then uh, we'll finish the service. Father, how good it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together. How difficult this concept is, Father. It is so simple, it's just almost impossible for us to comprehend. It's easily forgotten. It seems so difficult to apply. But yet it's your simple message of abide in me, make your home in me, 
Come to me, all you who are tired and heavy laden. But don't just come, just stay there, abide in me. Look to me for your truth, for your life, for your security, for your solace, for your meaning, for your everything. And Father, that glorious promise you have given us, and I, I, Jesus, the Lamb of God, <laughs> the creator of all things, the firstborn from the dead, will abide in you. And in this is my Father glorified, that my life manifests itself in you. Father, thank you for this wonderful gift you gave us at Easter. But may the gift of his crucifixion and resurrection resound and abide in us daily. Every day, Father, thank you that we are crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us to your glory. In Jesus' name, we congratulate you. Amen.